Hey everyone, welcome to Ideas About God, episode number four. So Ideas About God is a place for those of us who enjoy conversations about God, conversations that are interesting and fun, conversations that are serious and everything in between. The goal of each episode is to take an idea that someone has said about God or a way that God has been portrayed in culture and think about what that might mean for us. Maybe it's an idea that's brand new and profound and changes the way we think or the way we act, or it's something that's fun for the moment and we go on with our lives. This week, I'm really excited to have our first guest of the podcast ever, Dr. Casey Sigmund. Do you want to share a little bit about yourself before we dive into the conversation? Well, I would love to. Thank you, Fabian. And I'm really excited because I had the honor of having Fabian as a student at St. Paul School of Theology, where I teach preaching and worship uh, and do a whole lot of other little things. St. <laughs> uh, Paul's the United Methodist Seminary, but I'm actually ordained in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And uh, I live in Kansas City with my pastor husband. So our poor children are double PKs. Uh, so, you know, look out world because they're coming at you. <laughs> but I feel like you have, you come from a different theological position. So maybe, maybe you'll turn out differently than typical PKs. <laughs> I think so. Cause we're not, you know, he's a hospice chaplain. I'm a professor. So it's not quite the same sort of like watchful eye over them as the traditional yes, yes. preacher's kid might get in a congregation. We can kind <laughs> of hide a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anything else that you wanted to share? Um, let's see. Or? Uh, other than karaoke and live music, <laughs> uh, I am <laughs> passionate about, passionate about what we're talking about today, which is uh, process theology uh, also, I've done a lot of work around technology and technoculture and how it's impacting the way that we follow Jesus and lead in the church and communicate in the church. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of like living into both of those things through this God cast that you're uh, hosting. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you have a little bit of maybe extra job security in this time when we're having to go online. Uh, okay, so she might have, uh, Dr. Simgan said a word that you may not have heard before, process theology. So that's actually our topic for today. So do we want to, do you want to talk a little bit about that? What got you interested in process theology? Why is it something that you're so passionate about? Oh, yes. So yeah, I had no, I had no idea what process theology was uh, as, a, <laughs> as a youth. Um, and I didn't really grow up in a churchy environment anyway. I'm one of those uh, nuns, uh, not of the Catholic <laughs> variety, although for a little while we were Catholic growing up, then nothing, then evangelical. And uh, we didn't talk about process theology. Yeah. But my origin uh, really relates to those evangelical years where uh, I was leading in a lot of different elements of church in non-denominational settings, especially around worship and also college small group, high school small group, uh, and just uh, all of those questions that would always come out of pastoral <laughs> care and leadership <laughs> of like, seriously, like why? all right, God is so awesome. God loves us. God has, you know, 
everything worked out, kind of your Rick Warren kind of Christian world, which sounds all well and good, except when horrible things happen. Yeah. And I always just felt at a loss for words. It was kind of like, you know, just trust that God's got it. You know, it was all I could say because it's it's all I heard. And it's uh, the only way I could comprehend, uh, you know, what's going on because God's all powerful, right? Like God is all powerful. So God's got it. And there must be a reason this thing happened. And that's kind of the theology of that environment that I uh, led in. Hmm. So I went to seminary uh, out in Chicago at a not evangelical seminary, because uh, for those of you listening, I am a lady and it's not typically the case that women are mentored and encouraged into leadership of the church in preaching, uh, which I really genuinely felt called to do. Hmm. So I went to a Presbyterian seminary that had a lot of ecumenical diversity so I could figure some stuff out. Um, Shout out to McCormick. And while I was there, um, I had to take an advanced theology class. And the title of it was God Suffering and Evil. And I, I, I was like, oh, I'm taking this class because <laughs> like, I'm a weirdo. Um, I, feel, I but- feel like that sounds very interesting. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's no. very interesting intriguing for seminary students but maybe for like the non-seminary student person they may be like why would you want to talk about that so it's like what is this professor gonna say about this like I've you know again because I had encountered all these situations uh also you know I I'm a 9-11 kid like I was a senior in high school uh, when those events took place, I'd lost friends in ministry and church to suicide. I had just witnessed a lot of suffering and in the church, especially in Christian circles, and never really felt like anybody could give a defense for God that I was like on board with. So it was kind of like this existential longing to like, I love God but I really want to know what's going on with this so that I can really trust God. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So like big questions, which you should always have when you go to seminary, right? Big questions. Um, So in that class, God suffering and evil, uh, the professor, Dr. Anna Case Winter, she, her dissertation and her book that we use called God's power explained the difference Uh, between a Presbyterian kind of reformed Calvinistic understanding of Mm. God's power as sovereign to this new thing called process theology, (laughs) where God was not known for being omnipotent, which means all powerful, Mm. but was more so named as one who is omnipresent. And that means all relational. And I just like, I have to stop there, right? Because it was like one of those moments like, whoa, wait, relationship, a loving God who's in relationship with all things. Mm -hmm. And it's like a can of worms when you think about it, right? Because uh, you think about your relationships, are you in any relationship where someone is sovereign or all powerful over me? That's, that's violence. Yeah. 
right? That's, that's not something I'm on board with. Like I don't have, (laughs) if I don't let those people into my life. So why was I letting a construction of God into my life and in my vocabulary that modeled that sort of overpowering, abusive sort of relationship rather than a God who is like a witness is with me yeah. through it all. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so that was really where it began for me. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it, it began in theodicy, which is just a fancy theological word for uh the questions of why do bad things happen to good people? And I was not satisfied with any argument for why an all powerful God would just let horrible things happen. Yeah. So I think process theology speaks to that. Yeah. I, I, this is, this might be a slight tangent, but uh, it's just a thought that I have. You, you talked about how this idea of God that was constructed of a sovereign God, a God that's all powerful, that decides, or that maybe not necessarily decides everything that happens, because you can get into that conversation, but can control anything. Uh, it, it's so interesting that as you move into process theology, which we're going to talk a little bit more about how that works and how you apply that to different things, it's almost like you acknowledge that that there's some partnership with humans and God rather than the previous one. It was like, oh, that's not constructed. Actually, it was given to us, but you name it as constructed because you're like, no, 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 no. Like we just created this, you know, like it, like it wasn't just given to us from some, you know, like non-exist or, uh, you know, thing that we can't, you know, connect to I don't know if that makes sense what I'm saying to the people that are listening or oh yeah (laughs) it's not like the early church was like hey Jesus showed up and then Jesus died but when he resurrected he left us a systematic theology (laughs) that applies perfectly to every situation you may find yourself in (laughs) and when it doesn't apply you just have to go ah mystery yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's not the way it works. And, what, what, and what's even more is like, as I started to shift into this lens and this perspective that maybe God isn't all powerful in an overpowering controlling way, but is powerful in a, um, I'm going to, I can, I'm going to work with you and through you sort of way. Mm-hmm. I read scriptures differently. Mm. And I mean, you look at Moses, you look at the Hebrew Bible, and there are so many texts where humans are like pushing back with God and like God's pushing back with them. And the Psalms reflect that sort of, God, why, what's up with this? Why are you doing this? Remember who you are (laughs) in this kind of like conversational, uh, relational way of being um, a believer Yeah, that I felt was erased in that construction of the all powerful, all controlling, this is God's plan. You are that all everything. It's like the good place, right? It's like, <laughs> what's even the point, you know, if you've seen this show, right? Yes. There's a, there's, there are some episodes. My wife and has some, seen it, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so, you should watch it anyway. They're not sponsoring this, but they, they often have questions of like, well, what is the point of doing anything if everything's already 
the fate sealed. Like, yeah. what's the point? Yeah. Um, I, the fate already knows that I'm going to make this choice. So what's even the point of it all? So, um, yeah, process theology takes a different perspective and says, no, um, God's working with you and all of your possibility in every single moment. Um, and, and that's God's power is that sort of knowing loving presence and every breath you take. Yeah. And almost, and almost, again, this might be a slight tangent and then we can kind of go into, uh, you used another term theodicy, um, which is kind of the next route or the next direction that we're going to go with this conversation is how, how that impacts how we think about suffering, um, in the world and evil. Uh, but it, it almost makes sense logically to full, to go, let's just say, use the term, cause this is how people that maybe aren't, you know, seminary trained will talk to just go full Calvinist and say, Mm -hmm. well, God is all powerful and everything is determined. That just makes Mm -hmm. sense logically. But when you like, I'm a Methodist, when you, when you, okay, maybe God doesn't control everything. There's free will. Well, if God is all powerful, (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's free will. <laughs> like it's you you're almost like I can't really solve the the logical logical conclusions that I come to or the the dead ends that I come to when I'm trying to figure that out. It almost like you either just go full Calvinist or you just throw everything out because it's like nothing works. Nothing works. I'm just going to do what I want. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. That was just a thought that I had. It's like, it's really hard when you, when you do view as God as a relational God, but you still have this all powerful thing, almost hanging on to God. And when you finally get that freedom in a seminary class to say, Oh, there are people that let go of that thing. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, that that feels way more comforting. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think I think we, I think this, there are some people who find comfort in in pushing all power and all responsibility out onto someone. Yeah. That someone can be God, that someone can be a president, that someone can be mm. a religious leader, that someone can be uh, a family member. Uh, because to look within and see that you have your own power too and role to play is intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> and it forces a choice and a responsibility uh, that you may not that you may be able to push off and brush off if everything's predetermined. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if, if salvation was just one moment and it's one moment in people's lives and we can push the responsibility away, but if salvation means freedom for the oppressed, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a little bit more difficult that's for us to bit. do because that requires us to, uh, give some things up, um, to change things that make us feel comfortable to, uh, uh, fight against systems of oppression and do something about it, which might end up costing us, you know, our safety and comfort. And so, so if, yeah, it's, it's, if we can just put salvation fully on God, um, then, 
we don't really have to do anything about the people that are hurting that haven't really experienced um, that liberation that comes with salvation. At least that's my, my realm of theology that I've become interested in or found um, life yeah. in was liberation theology. And that's the language we use, you know? Exactly. And I think, you know, I think there are nuanced process theologies from a liberationist perspective that, you know, it's that danger of saying in, of praying for the oppressed to accept Christ into their lives as their salvation and mm -hmm. not at the same time saying, uh, yes, but also you could do something right now yeah. <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to empower them to live a better life and not just say, ah, uh, but in the, in, in the hereafter, that's, <laughs> it's going to be great for them. So yeah. 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 And, and, and you kind of, you brought up like leaders too. It's the same thing, you know, in our country, it, it can be really easy to say, oh, well, November 3rd, that's when I make a change. It's like, no, <laughs> every no. day, uh, every day, local, um, you know, doing local work, whatever you can do, whenever you see the, 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 the person in need or the place where you can step in and be an advocate for someone, then the change happens when you respond to that. <laughs> totally. So, yeah. Like, oh, you mean one person is not going to fix all of the problems <laughs> in one fell swoop? Yeah. Well, darn. Darn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. So uh, let's dive a little bit into the, the, the problem of evil, I guess. I don't know if that is what you would call it. But, yeah. Uh, how you talk about evil in a process, uh, from a process perspective? So if we, if in a process view, like put yourself in this place where um, God, a God is creator and creating, God is alive, um, really in process theology, uh, uh, there's this fundamental belief that, uh, you know, all living things change and breathe and move and only that which uh, which doesn't change and breathe and move. Well, those things are dead and God's not dead. God is alive. So God is breathing and living into the change. Right. And mm -hmm. has been since the beginning and is eternally this constant, but a constant that uh, has the accumulated wisdom and also the accumulated hurt. Mm. of of the world's story of history so if so taking into that perspective and then the question of evil there is this understanding that god is not going to jump into the world and and fix everything as if past choices by humans haven't already left their impact on creation right mm. so God's not going to come in and suck up all of the extra CO2 mm. that is causing um, famine, climate change. Um, God is not going to sweep in and remove from water and soil the toxins that humans created in efforts to have more, 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 more efficient, more mm. quickly. So when it comes to questions of evil, um, it isn't only on God or some, some Satan kind of figure who's doing these things. It, it's a question that, that forces us to look within 
not just in, as an individual, but as a society on the accumulated effects of our greedy, selfish, um, short-sighted choices mm. and actions. And then to ask how we can partner with God and listen for God's guidance on living into slowly, like slow change, thinking of organic culture, like you can't microwave healing, you can't microwave maturity. So what's the, what's the best we can do Mm. to respond to the accumulated evil in the world and, and bring more justice and beauty and healing? Yeah. So uh, there's a, there's a question that I have with that. In process theology, is there um, some end goal or some ideal thing, um, or is that ever changing along with um, God and humans and that relationship? So, how does that work? Is there is there some ideal that we can eventually get to? Um, yeah. Um, there are various perspectives on that question. <laughs> Because that's one of the things that Alfred North Whitehead, who we'll talk about later, who's the founder of this philosophy, or at least the namer, right? Because this philosophy really just comes out of observing nature and how nature works. But anyway, um, <laughs> but I think that for um, for many process theologians, and I'm thinking hear of uh, a mentor of mine who's a process theologian and homiletician, Ron Allen. Um, he speaks of like this ultimate aim and goal is, is being beauty and justice. Like the, the mm. hermeneutic, which is uh, another theology word. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're a seminary professor. You're ex- uh, the <laughs> lens, the lens of interpretation um, for, for Allen. And I think for me too, is that, that God wills uh, more beauty and wills the the well-being of all and complexity instead Mm. of simplicity, because simplicity, you know, like is not good in biology, right? Like Mm. to have mono cultures and mono crops means total devastation. It's, It's actually, we're aiming for that and we need to nourish that with God. And that's, Mm. that's the aim. Like that's God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is that beautiful complexity and give and take, uh, in a world, a world that can deal with that and handle that and not be afraid of it. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to like the afterlife, I mean, I'd say it's more, uh, it's miss, you know, mystery, like process theology doesn't want to give answers to things that can't be observed. Yeah. Huh. And so like our notions of God and process theology are often, um, they're speculative speculation, but in relationship to what we observe in human relationships and creation and trees in, you know what I'm saying? In the, in the universe and yeah. yeah. science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really related to kind of, you know, what we experience within this time that we have on earth and it leaves the rest up to this mystery. 
Yeah. I like that. I like that. And because God's God as that creator, the fingerprint is everywhere. Right. So if you want to get to know God, talk to a person, but also like lay under a tree. You know, it's not limited to it's uh, it's it's not anthropocentric in the way that some Christianities really are all about the humans and Mm -hmm. could care less about couldn't care less about creation. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, just just kind of off that it's it's a relational thing, but not relational in the sense that it only applies. Humans aren't the only ones that have relationships. Yes, and, and, that's right. And humans aren't the only ones that have relationships with God. No. That's, is that, is that kind of, yeah. Ah, is that, <laughs> you raise your yeah. eyebrows. There is one. a unique, <laughs> I mean, Whitehead would speak to, a, there's a unique soul sort of feature, especially thinking about Christianity. There is something unique um, about the Imago Dei or the image of God in humans, mm. but that, that uniqueness doesn't mean that it's superior and should again should overpower and subdue all others. Yeah. Because God doesn't do that. Yeah. And we are made in God's image. So we have a responsibility and a partnership with all of these elements. Ah. So if if we're made in God's image and God is relational, then our job is to also be in relationship with everything and not subdue it. So that means we don't extract all the resources we can from the earth for our own devices, but we actually have a relationship. <laughs> for example. <laughs> just, just, uh, <laughs> and to clarify, ex- yeah, it's like crisis that we have in our, in our lifetime. So precisely. <laughs> and the thing is, I guess, um, and even to be more specific, like we already are in relationship. Yeah. Like if anything, <laughs> if, if we haven't discovered that yet during this pandemic of how in relationship we are with the whole world. <laughs> yeah. The, so, so instead of saying even relationship, it's right relationship. It's, ah. you know, you are already in relationship, but are you in right relationship? Mm. Are you in, you know, uh, in equitable relationship, um, a, a relationship that promotes the well-being of another, rather mm-hmm. than just your well-being to the detriment of another. Be mm-hmm. it soil, be it a child, be it mm-hmm. uh, an employee. Right, yeah. all of that matters. Mm. Okay. It, do you, this this might. Yeah, I don't know. I get I get into tangents. <laughs> we we have a couple other things that Hey, it's your you know, podcast. You, we you can tangent. talk about Whitehead. So I feel like we should do that <laughs> next, right after this. But uh I was just thinking about this idea. So just curiosity. It, what does right relationship look like between, say, uh pride of lions and a you know, whatever they call a pack of antelope or whatever. Um, if part of the survival mechanism is for the pride to kill, is is do you see it bigger? Do you kind of zoom out a little bit and say, okay, right, relationship is that they don't eat them all, so they disappear. But that, they, I, I'm curious about that. It's just just an interesting yeah, it. Oh, it's so right on. And I feel like my colleague, um, Dr. Nancy Howell at St. Paul, 
could speak even more clearly to this because she specializes in, in sort of the scientific uh, relationship between process thought and science and theology. But mm. yes, yeah, so it's like the lion. I mean, it's like I'm thinking of the Lion King and other things, but <laughs> seriously, like there is a circle of life and there is a, a structure uh, that was designed by a very thoughtful, intentional creator, right? Yeah. Uh, and when anything goes out of whack, like, for example, um, you know, living in the, the city uh, where there's just a bajillion quadrillion squirrels, like they are everywhere because <laughs> their predators are not here. Yeah. I go out to the country. There are no squirrels because there are coyotes who... Mm eat squirrels for breakfast, you know? So, um, and that's specifically so for like, breakfast. Yes. Just <laughs> breakfast. Um, so it's messy. It's not to say that, um, beauty is like this shallow, oh, you know, we, we all, you know, everyone's fine and it's okay. You know, mm -hmm. like, but they're, you know, it, <laughs> I guess to the extreme, we could be vegans and do our best. Right to make every single choice as a human to not overfeed yeah. so that we're causing harm elsewhere in the web. Like, I think that's a very right way of, of being a Christian and, a, and faithful. Mm -hmm. um, and it become and the thing I love about process theology is that it names that with every year, everything's more complex. And so those choices you have to do more research and do your best because, uh, you know, we can't all eat too much soy yeah. because actually that's not good for the environment. Right. And we can't yeah. all drink a bunch of almond milk because <laughs> that wipes out, uh, water in places where, uh, there's drought. And so yeah. I'm going back to the good place again. Like <laughs> <laughs> they're struggling to get, uh, into the good place for the last 500 years because the world's become too complex for humans to make yeah. good choices. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, it almost, that's true. It's almost that putting responsibility back on us again to have to respond. We can't just come up with a flat answer that applies for every situation and every moment in history, because every moment's going to provide us a new moment to respond in a different way and to try to do the, the right thing and be yeah. in the right relationship. So it's that onus and responsibility again. Mm -hmm. To do the rightest thing, like the rightest thing. <laughs> like this is the rightest thing, in my understanding, that I can do in this moment. Yes. And but I need to pay attention. I need to be awake. Like yeah. I know, as a liberation theologian, you know that sort of um, conscientization. You have to be awake. You have to be alert. Yeah. You can't be a robot just going through the motions like that. You have responsibility. Yeah. Mm. So thank you for um, going on that tangent. Uh, so talk a little bit about uh, Whitehead and how this uh, this I, I don't know, realm of thinking <laughs> came to be. Or I guess you said it, it didn't originate with him because it came from the study of nature. But how, how did how did he put it into words and um, I guess package it maybe. Yeah, he well, what's so funny about Whitehead is like uh, his his, you know, the the masterpiece of process philosophy 
um, is his book, Process and Reality. Mm. Um, and <laughs> it is not an easy book to read. <laughs> uh, it is very challenging. I think I've gone through it three times. And I every time I go, wow, I've been saying that completely wrong. Or, wow, <laughs> still don't understand this. Um, because uh, he was really, he was a child of an Episcopal uh, priest uh, who was like not seeking out the pastor life, but clearly influenced by it, PK, and was actually a mathematician philosopher. And he was, you know, of the era of um, of uh, of quantum physics, quantum philosophy as mm. it was emerging. So just to kind of place him, it's not very old. It's not a very old uh, piece. You know, it's only been a three generations or so of, of organized process thought. But basically for him, you know, he's, he's, he's talking about the, you know, the order of things, the order of the world, the order of, uh, you know, and how math helps to partner in that sort of explanation of things. And, uh, and he doesn't even talk about God (laughs) (laughs) until like the last chapter of process reality, process in reality. It's one of the shortest chapters of the whole book. And then you read it and you go, whoa, this whole book was a process of him arriving at at naming this thing that has organized um, the world, right? Mm -hmm. And just notions that uh, we as human beings, for example, we are like a series of accumulated events, right? But there's always something within each of us that is distinctly us that, that remains even through our our maturity and our adaptation. Yeah. Like it's that essence of, Oh, that's Fabian. Oh, uh-huh. that's Casey, even with change and maturity and growth. Um, and that, you know, that everything is constantly, um, you know, there's, there's this, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm trying to say it in like <laughs> layperson's terms <laughs> and it's really hard. Um, but uh, in every single moment, you know, there's this subconscious identity of those accumulated events that's going to kind of determine what you what decisions you make in the next moment. That's yeah. then going to be incorporated into that identity and so on and so forth. Uh, and then and then for Whitehead, like that's also God and like and God is like incorporating in the knower of all of these elements at any given time. And because of that, uh, God is this force that exists and is trying to lure all of us into making the best, the rightest choices and the rightest actions Ah. for the good of all, not just an individual. Mm -hmm. Um, But only God can have that, has that perspective. That's that, that's the omnipresence rather than omnipotent, all powerful, that all knowing of all of the pieces um, and it's, it's really mind blowing. <laughs> I mean, it really, really is. Yeah. Uh, cause it's like, wow, God knows what's like rightest for me and my daughter yeah. and, uh, the wildflowers in my yard. And <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? That's it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. I, I thought of an analogy and you can completely cut me off and correct me if I'm wrong, but Um, somebody was telling me about how, if you go to, um, if you go to see Jerusalem, 
how there's multiple layers of different buildings a city has had. So this, there's this idea of the city of Jerusalem and inhabitants who live in it. Um, but then the actual physical city has had different iterations and kind of build upon itself. And the idea, so is, is it kind of similar to that? Like, it's like, it's like the city has always been, you know, this idea or like Kansas city, for example, Kansas city has grown. And, um, you know, when, when, when a city buys land, it expands a little bit, but it's still this idea of, you know, the city that has been here kind of thing. Is that, is that maybe am I, am I off base with that or? No, no, I think, I think that's a, I think I can see how that plays out. And so, um, to kind of like, you know, take it to a, another level, then it's it on the micro level, like Kansas City can't be Honolulu. Mm. <laughs> and no, that sounds crazy. But like, you know, so we're this accumulation of past events and realities. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't ever get swiped away. Yeah. So Kansas City can't be Honolulu. It's Kansas City. It can, yeah. it can. It can be its new thing, but its new thing is unique to it, right? Ah. Um, and so it, it, it's that way for like individuals and societies and, uh, you know, it, and for God. So God's not going to be like suddenly act out of character with the, with, with the scriptures and with our experiences of God uh, that we, we have. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like, same with Jesus. So Jesus was, you know, Jesus exemplified change. Like I think the moment where, um, he encounters the Syrophoenician woman is, is like one of the highlighted moments of, a Oh, an opening up to complexity. Mm -hmm. Um, that's like, you know, Jesus is just living more fully into, uh, you know, himself um, and God's self in the, in the choices and the decisions he made, he makes. And, and he was impacted by this woman mm. because that's how we are. And that's how God is. Right. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. Hmm. It, it, it uh makes things way more complex in terms of there's no concrete thing we can hold on to and say this is the thing um and instead it calls us to respond i guess if i'm if mm -hmm. i use christianese language yes um, but we 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 respond then because it's not oh well like i have it figured out and so now my goal is to get everybody else to have it figured out. But no, if God is in, re in relationship with us and we are trying to go towards this right relationship with all the things we're in relationship with, that's a constant learning and growing kind of process. Is that, is that kind of, I don't know, a way to take it into the kind of the personal everyday stuff? Yeah. Oh, totally. And that also means then, you know, for people who lead other people then, or lead in a community, it means you can't come in and act as if you are um, um, omnipotent and you know exactly what's best for everybody, yeah. right? But that 
um, a, the, the rightest leader, <laughs> the, a good leader, um, listens, uh, listens and tries to help other people hear themselves into whom they're supposed to be, you know, and how they're supposed to be in the world. It's more of someone, um, I say this a lot, but the degree that you have Fabian and I have uh, to be ordained is called the master of divinity. Mm-hmm. But that is, that is omnipotent God language framework. You've mastered divinity, just like God <laughs> has mastered you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and I can't stand it, to be honest. Um, so I like to think of my MDiv as being a midwife of divinity because you, I, I want to be someone as a teacher, as a pastor who helps hold someone's arm and breathe through their labor pains into birthing their themselves that, you know, the unique self of action and agency and gifting that God made them to be and not my understanding of who that is. Yeah, no, I love that. I, um, I, I think that, so my wife is in, in school to get her master's in counseling. And if you think about how counseling has evolved, it's not that the counselor, the therapist, the psychoanalyst has the answer, but rather mm-hmm. that what they're doing is trying to help the person find it within themselves. That's really, really cool. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I was laugh. I, I could tell you were very serious about not liking the master of divinity. I, don't I was like laughing it. because it was a new idea that I hadn't heard or thought about. And so for me, the laughter is like, a response to, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> that way. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't laughing at something that you felt was serious, but rather laughing was my, yeah. If that makes oh, sense. no process. <laughs> there's a lot of laughter in process. Cause like, <laughs> that's good. Uh, so, oh, sorry. Did you? No, no. I, I mean, you get it right. You yeah. hear that is like a ridiculous phrase. Yeah. There's no way you've mastered divinity. No, uh-uh. we, we, there's no way we master life in general and no way we ever master God. And if we nope. believe that we master God, then, well, then what do we do with the rest of our lives? Because if, <laughs> if God is the thing, then <laughs> it's like, no, we never, that that's the whole thing is, is we're constantly, uh, and we talked about this language before we started recording, but we're constantly invited mm-hmm. to, to grow and love love more and, and, uh, act justly. And so just to kind of wrap up the conversation, <laughs> I don't know if you got to dive into Whitehead as much as you wanted to, oh, but, um, you, that's okay. have like 15 minute max episodes. So this is going to be a longer one anyways, but I love that you have this, this idea to talk about how that affects if, if process theology is something that defines how we view God and how we view ourselves and how does that affect how we live our lives? You talked about how that, that, that may affect prayer, all those things. So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I, I think it starts back with what you said about, you know, invitational an invitational life where God is the one who's inviting mm. in every moment. I, I believe God is present and inviting us to tune in uh, to an idea uh, that can be made flesh uniquely through us to help partner in midwifing 
a more just and beautiful world. Mm. And it sounds like that's the bit macro, but on the micro level, as I hear my kids like behind the door stomping around, it's like (laughs) in any given moment, I have the responsibility to tune in to that invitation and then live it out for them because Mm. that is, those are the events that are accumulating in their lives that then impact the adult they are and how they treat someone else and how they choose to use money or words in the world. Right. And so the spiritual life then, um, and I love this about Methodists, right? It, It is this process of sanctification and it's not a salvation that I said these three phrases, I was baptized, so I'm in and done. Um, <laughs> but we have a responsibility to, to tune in with God, be partners with God, and then act in ways that would make God smile and laugh Yeah. instead of break God's heart mm. or break somebody else's heart because that breaks God's heart. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's actually like... You know, it's a, it's a much more complex, but completely like, you know, worship is supposed to be a way of life and, and just ascribing worth. So worship just means ascribing worth and its etymology uh, to God mm. uh, with your whole life yeah. as a Christian, not an hour on Sunday, but your whole life. So yeah. it's a, it's a huge impact then. <laughs> Um, it's life-changing when you shift into that perspective and then walk in that reality. Yeah. I love that. You said uh, something I'm going to, I'm going to quote you because I think it, uh, you said it well, when we first met, pray to pay attention, to be alert to what the Holy spirit is whispering for us to do. Um, I think that's, that's beautiful. And I'm just thinking about uh, one of the things that I found really compelling in Christianity, even the more fundamental versions of it, when I first came in was, there's this baseline, you're already in relationship with God. And in process theology, it's there, God is in relationship with us. So that relationship doesn't go away. Um, so there, that, that gives you the freedom actually to, to take on the responsibility, not because you're going to lose that relationship with God, because that's going to go away, but because you do have it, then, then you have that. So it's almost like you still have that baseline comfort of, okay, I already have this relationship with God because I'm here and I'm a part of this. Yeah. But you also- Take on the responsibility. No, sorry, sorry. I was done. (laughs) No, it's a, it's a, I pray to the God who is persistent and insistent. I'm not going to, it's not a deal breaker for God. So when the church make, you know, makes the mistake of casting out someone, right. It's like, that's not God. Like God Mm -hmm. is after you and after your attention God is not going to be able to just like erase all of the mistakes you made, but God is like analyzing, you know, what is possible and best out of those realities that have accumulated to try to change the trajectory in light of what has been right. Yeah. So there's always hope as long as you have breath in your lungs 
to take, to participate in that life. Mm. And when you participate in it, would you say that that is your freest self or your, the best version of yourself? Yes. The rightest, the bestest the rightest. <laughs> version of yourself. The most is beautiful, that- the most yes. loving, the most. Yes. Uh, so I want to just say, I, I want to end with a quote after I say this uh, that you said, because uh, I think it's a beautiful way to close out the episode. But uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank your kids you. are at your door, which means you, you have so many other responsibilities. Um, <laughs> but I really appreciate this. And uh, to everyone listening, I hope that this gives you life. Um, if you're interested, is there any uh, books that they can read that won't be overly, you know, they probably won't dive into Whitehead right away, maybe? Uh, I, I, I know Thomas J. Ord has a couple or a couple books. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bruce Epperly. Bruce Epperly is also, I think he actually has a book that I think is called process, like process theology for dummies. Like <laughs> not that you're a dummy, but it's something equivalent to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also like, I think God's power by Anna Case Winters. If you come out of the reform tradition it could kind of help you see a compare and contrast. Okay. But oh my gosh, I mean, there's so many amazing, you know, Sally McFaig and uh, Marjorie Suhaki and John Cobb. Uh, there's this beautiful rabbit hole of process theology <laughs> you can go down. That sounds sounds fun. Well, um, thank you again for your time, and we're gonna close out with this thought. Uh, I'm going to quote you as the person that said it. So even if it has others ideas, this is your quote now. Uh, this is Dr. Casey Sigmund said, look at, what's it, look at what's within your reach. If we are in this web, it matters how you interact with people around you. Do your best to act beautifully and justly. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>